Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Let Creativity. For this episode, we welcome Curtis Panastuck. He specializes in teaching businesses how to problem solve in a more creative way, and he explains why this is such a very crucial skill to learn these days. So without further ado, Curtis Panastuck, thank you, thank you. Okay, so... My uh, expertise is I teach uh, creativity, and what I mean by that is I teach people how to solve problems using creativity. And uh, everyone has problems, from personal problems to, to corporate problems to political problems. We've had a lot of those this year. And creativity techniques can be used to solve all of those problems. Now, I got my start as a baby. I was born into a creative color wheel, a living color wheel. My parents owned a greenhouse and they grew flowers and my parents were both artists. Oh, cool. So that means that uh, they made a living uh, selling happiness oh. because flowers are a happy product. There's no way you can do anything mean or hurtful with flowers, it's impossible. That's very true. <laughs> and then um, I got creative in high school. I, I made a big creative move by quitting high school. <laughs> You're already like, no, I don't want this. <laughs> well, I was thinking outside of the school or outside of the box. So that's outside of the box thinking or outside of the school thinking. I found out to go to college you don't need a high school diploma. That's not required. So there's an example of asking uh, if or why. And the question was, why do you need a high school diploma to go to college? And the answer turned out to be, you do not. Hmm. So I got to have fun by going to college instead of going to my senior year of high school. And I chose a major that was very creative. And uh, the, the name of that major was electrical engineering. <laughs> that is not something I ever <laughs> equated with creativity. <laughs> well, here's the reason it's creative. Um, by, by the law of the school, the dean had a law. You shall not memorize. Oh. You shall be creative. Huh. In fact, that's a typical um, rule in all engineering programs throughout the United States. Um, and that means, here's how it translates to, the, the tests are all the dreaded open book. <laughs> you ever have an open book test? Yeah. So the open book tests are the worst because um, you're having to be inventive and creative problem solver. You're not reciting something from memory, which is much of our school system is recitation or reciting like a parrot. Right. The engineering programs are all about problem solving. It's how to solve a problem, how to get people on the moon, how to make, make an x-ray machine, how to um, um, find sources of food and water for starving people. That's what engineers do. In fact, there's a saying, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, have you heard of him? Mm -hmm. Great, great architect said this. He said, um, you can either, there's two ways to build something. Uh, and he said, it's much cheaper to build something using an eraser 
than to build a structure using a jackhammer. And what he meant by that was use your equations from engineering school to build your bridge or skyscraper on a piece of paper and then test it out. And if it falls down, you just erase it and start again. I love that. And I just, I definitely showed my ignorance about engineering because I, or my judgment, my just flat out. Well, no, that's <laughs> ignorant the point of this. Judgment. Yeah, we're, we're um, making an educational podcast here. So um, his point was you use the engineering equations to build your bridge and drive cars across it. And if it falls down, you start again by racing and doing the equations again. Because if you built the bridge and it fell down, then you have to use a jackhammer. Right. And that was my that was my degree. And my first job out of college was I was part of a team that built the telephone system for a country called Saudi Arabia. Hmm. And the problem was, here's the problem we were solving. Saudi Arabia is mostly desert and their telephone lines kept blowing down every month in giant dust storms. Oh. And our solution to the problem was we designed and invented a satellite and we placed that satellite in orbit over Saudi Arabia. So it just hung up there like a light bulb on the roof of your room and it just hovered above Saudi Arabia. And then we designed ground stations in all the major cities that collected up the telephone traffic and then set it up to the satellites where it's bounced off and onto the other cities. Oh, nice. So there was a hundred of us, very creative uh, group of engineers and that was the problem we solved. And then I had um, another career, many careers um, that led to what I'm doing now. Uh, I was, um, working in sales and marketing. And I wrote an article when I was in marketing and the magazine invited me to become an editor. They hired me to be a magazine editor. I was a magazine editor for three years, very creative, not as creative as the National Enquirer. <laughs> Are you familiar with the National Enquirer? Yes. <laughs> so that, that magazine is way too creative. <laughs> And um, after being a magazine editor, I moved, moved into public relations, which is a little bit creative, but you can't get too creative because you got to have it be fact-based. Oh, right. They always said in public relations, you could exaggerate and tell one lie. You only have one because then your career would be over. Hmm. Because very important to be trusted by the other magazine editors and uh, newspaper reporters. And I did that for Apple. And then I moved into teaching. And this is where I got the idea for the creativity workshops, which is my current career. I was teaching algebra and I was using creativity techniques. And um, as an example, uh, instead of just calculating the air pressure on a, on a disc, I actually took a toilet plunger and I plunged it onto one of the students' desks and I asked the student to bring the plunger to me, but it was suctioned onto her desk. So she had to drag her whole desk up front. And then the rest of the class was calculating how much pressure it turned out to be 500 pounds wow. of pressure for that um, uh, toilet plunger. 
So by using those techniques, I was able to change students who had been C students. They were now getting B grades. So by using creativity techniques, I was making C students, C math students into B students. And when the principal heard about this, guess what he said? He said, you're fired. Really? He said, you're fired. And I said, why? He said, you have to be cheating because it's impossible for a C student to become a B student. That can't happen. Oh, wow. And I said, well, before you fire me, why don't you bring in a consultant to evaluate my techniques? So I was teaching at a, at a Catholic school and he brought in a former uh, teacher. She was a, a badass nun. <laughs> I was wondering what you were gonna say. <laughs> she would chew tobacco and curse and she'd been a math teacher for 30 years and she retired and she sat in my classes and she reported to the principal that the stuff Curtis is doing is revolutionary. He is indeed making C math students into B students. And you know what he said then? Well, he said, you're both fired. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's an example of another topic I'll be working on, which is a book about leadership. That's called Poor Leadership. So I will tell you that um, I, I left and one by one over the next four years, all the other teachers left. And then the Catholic school did something they've never done before. They shut that school down. Hmm. They fired the principal. They shut a major Catholic school down because of its failure to properly educate the students. And that's when I realized that my techniques were so important, I should spread the word. Mm. And that's the reason that I did my TED talk in Sedona on the topic of creativity with the title that creativity is the number one survival skill for the 21st century. Because in this century, what's happening is robots and artificial intelligence are being developed. And our school system was originally designed to train factory workers. And that's why our school system was set up 150 years ago to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic, those three things. Well, creativity was not included because creative people would have been bad factory workers. What they wanted from factory workers was for them to sit down, shut up, and listen and follow these instructions. Push that button, then move this thing, then push that button. That's how our school system was set up. Now, today, robots and artificial intelligence are very quickly learning reading, writing, and arithmetic. They have that down. But what they're not gonna be able to do is the human trait of creativity. So the ability to be creative and solve problems is a trait that's not in a robot or AI. They are just masters and they're very good at this and they will be useful at following instructions, right. keeping a car on the road, keeping the production line running, 
but they're not going to invent a car and they're not going to invent a production line. They're not creative. So we need to develop that skill in ourselves and in our school systems. So our schools, and this was the point of my TED talk, need to teach reading, writing, arithmetic. We'll still, we still need those things and creativity because the reading, writing, and arithmetic, that's the basic knowledge upon which we make our creative thoughts. Right. So we still need reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now, the creativity research shows the number one thing to be creative is to believe. It's kind of like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. She believed that she could get home, so she followed her path to the wizard. And people, and this would be important in with your clients, if you have a way to make your clients feel like they're creative, they will be more creative, guaranteed. And the one way that I do that is I show these techniques. And the one technique, there are many, the one technique I use is mind mapping. And that's what I talk about in my TED Talk. So mind mapping is a way to generate ideas and it uses a mapping approach. So let's suppose the problem was to <clears throat> sell uh, ice coolers, and this was from my TED talk, to Eskimos, or the politically correct term, their name is Inuit. Mm -hmm. You would try to come up with as many ideas for what Eskimos need. And you take a white sheet of paper and in the middle of that white sheet of paper, you would write the word Eskimo or Inuit, just a little circle. And from that circle, you draw spokes, like spokes on a wheel. Right. And the first spoke would go to something Eskimo related, which would be cold, they're cold. Another spoke would go to snow, a Eskimo or Inuit related thing. Another one would go to dog sled. So you have these little dots or circles on this white sheet of paper, and then you expand the ones at the end of the spoke. So that cold one, you would expand to cold butt because when they sit down, their butt gets cold. <laughs> or you would expand the one about uh, food to be their food freezes. And then you, you take another blank sheet of paper and in the center of that, you draw a circle that says ice cooler. And from there, you draw the spokes again. An ice cooler has properties, like uh, it could be used as a chair, or it has a property of keeping, keeping cold things cold. That's its job. Or keeping it also can keep warm things warm. You could put a hot sandwich in there, and it would stay hot. Right, because it's insulation, not like that's... The exactly. It's the insulation property. Then you put those two papers together and you would see that there's a matchup. Eskimos butts get cold when they sit down and then you could use the insulating property of the ice cooler that they could sit on it like a chair. And then you see the Eskimos food is freezing in the 50 below weather. Then you could use the insulating property they could put their food into that ice cooler and their food would not freeze salad. Right. Neither would their water. 
So you see how that technique of mind mapping enabled us to solve this problem. Right. How an, how an Eskimo could need an ice cooler. In fact, when I teach that, my students are shocked. They say, how, how, do, how do Eskimos survive without ice coolers? <laughs> so they have other ways to keep their food from freezing and they have things, other things they can set on, like they can set on uh, their sled. But that's the idea <clears throat> of how that technique. So when somebody works through that problem, mm -hmm. they realize that this tool can be used to make them more creative. I was just going to ask, do you think they get like uh, more flexible with their thinking the more they use that technique? And here's what happens. Number one, it builds their confidence. So if you have a client or a, a patient, what do you call them, clients? It depends on the, but yeah. Situation. So they're suffering from depression, anxiety. They feel like they're not, not uh, sufficient or capable. This tool can make them suddenly feel more capable. And as a person uses this writing out on the paper, what happens over time is then they begin to do it without the paper. Mm. The paper is no longer the crutch. They begin to think this way automatically. And then suddenly they can become more funny. <laughs> they can make jokes and their life is more fun. I mean, here's an example. For instance, you know, there's a talk about um, making test tube babies. And what you do is you put test tube babies on the white sheet of paper, and then you draw these connections, all the possible things that come to mind. And the beauty of mind mapping is when you have one spoke, like the one we had about cold, and that led to cold butt, mm -hmm. it's a type of prompt. So it's sort of like prompting the next idea. Right. So that idea about cold butt, it never would have come to my mind except I had that little circle that said cold and that led to the next idea. So the tool is a, is a, has a prompting action that leads to ideas you would never have. Right, right. So to finish up the point about test tube babies, you could do a mind map on the coming of test tube babies in the future. And you could see many ways to go with it and one, would be, um, you could think, if we made custodians as test tube babies, they would be called janitors in a drum. <laughs> Do you ever hear of that product? No. So it's showing the difference in our ages. I'm 64, you're 40. But when I was young, janitor in a drum was a very popular cleaning product. Okay. <laughs> and that's how the joke works. <laughs> And you can do a similar joke. I mean, COVID's a terrible thing, but it's it's nice to be able to make a joke about it, and then it's not so terrible. And the joke is, you know, it's called COVID nineteen because while you're sheltering in place, you gain nineteen pounds. <laughs>
And who would have guessed with COVID that they would pass a law that when you go into a bank, there would be a law <laughs> that you have to wear a mask. Yeah, you saw that right away. See that? So your mind is already mind mapping. So this goes back to my point that if people think they're creative, they will be more creative. So when I give people this tool, it helps them be more creative. And then it's a snowball effect. Right. They see that this tool makes them more creative and then they think they are and they are. It's not a false it's not a false feeling. They really are more creative. Yeah. And now they're even more creative and it makes them feel better and that can help reduce a depression and anxiety. Well, it goes back to, to also what you focus on grows. So if you're focusing on creative problem solving, then that'll grow. Yes, exactly. So this is such a powerful idea that I'm now writing a book about it. And the title of my book is Creativity. What color is your problem? Hmm. I love that. <laughs> do you remember the book? Um, what color is your parachute? I do not know. So that's again, an, uh, from my age generation, there was a popular uh, career book called What Color Is Your Parachute? And I'm borrowing that idea. It's a, my content is 100% different. That was about career counseling. Mm. And, and as a counselor, you might want to check that book called What Color Is Your Parachute? It sold millions of copies. So my book will have a very colorful picture on the front with a top title, creativity, what color is your problem? And I will explain in my book how to use these techniques. That's now, wonderful. Part, go ahead. Oh, that's wonderful. I was just thinking too, with the mind mapping, I have been using it as a way to show the unconscious, but it's it's uh, another way. I love that it's a, it's a way to also problem solve. Right. So it has a lot of applications. Right. Now, another uh, example of creativity is the ability to uh, see. So what I teach is try to observe three new things every day that you didn't see before. Mm -hmm. And here's an example. I bet you've been into Starbucks, haven't you? Mm -hmm. And when you walked out of Starbucks, you've walked out many times, I would bet. Because if you hadn't I'll walked out, <laughs> you'd still be there, locked in. And you could help them clean at night. Right. <laughs> so on the way out, did you happen to notice the sign above the door? No. Does it say exit by any <laughs> It does say that. But it's, there's a second sign. And that sign says, and no one has ever noticed it. They every, I mean, people, I also have walked under that sign a thousand times. I never noticed it. That sign says at the top, this door to remain unlocked during business hours. Have you ever noticed that? Uh -uh. That sign is in every Starbucks coffee shop restaurant by law huh now it's kind of a dumb sign because if i mean it's kind of like a duh <laughs> if you want customers your your front door should be unlocked during business hours right right <laughs> or you probably won't get many customers so there's 
an example of government in action. <laughs> That's a government law. And they put that there. It's a fire code thing. They were worried oh. that companies would lock their door during business hours <laughs> and there would be a fire and people would be trapped. I'm guessing it's happened before, which is why yeah. it had <laughs> there must be a reason, although that's be another question to ask. Is there a reason for that sign? So here's my point. Um, it's really important in the field of creativity to be observant. Mm -hmm. And here is an example. If the captain of the Titanic, now I know, I know you're younger than me. Have you heard of the Titanic? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So there's something we both heard about. What if I told you that these creativity techniques could have saved every person on the Titanic? Oh, that's amazing. No, but I wholeheartedly, I am, I'm, I, I have no doubt that it could, but I'm very interested in seeing how. All right, here's the answer. So when they hit the iceberg, the captain was in a big panic mode. Everybody was worried about sinking and they were running around like ants, everybody going crazy. And they didn't take a minute to make this observation. An iceberg is like a giant island. How about drive the ship up next to that iceberg and unload everybody onto the iceberg? Oh, well, yeah. Because you can stand on an iceberg for a week, but in the water, you only have five minutes. Oh, wow. So when those people hit the water, they were dead in five minutes. The rescue ship showed up the next morning. Oh, wow. The rescue ship could have unloaded everybody off the iceberg and not a single person would have died. So there's an example of observation. If that ship captain had observed and noticed the iceberg is kind of like an island right. he could have unloaded everybody yeah now here's an example oh by the way um the naval architect said the the guy driving the ship at the time could have also saved everyone hmm. because when he saw the iceberg he tried to swerve and avoid it and as a result, he sideswiped that iceberg. And that iceberg cut a hole in all six of the waterproof compartments on the Titanic. Uh -huh. Do you remember hearing that it was, um, it was impossible for the Titanic to sink? Right, yeah. The reason for that was the Titanic was built with six compartments that if one was punctured, the other five would keep the ship afloat. So, when the iceberg sideswiped, it punched a hole in all six of those compartments. And that's why the supposedly unsinkable Titanic sank. Hmm. So, the naval architect said, and these are the engineers, if he had driven the ship straight in to the iceberg, it would have punctured the first compartment, but the other five would have kept the boat floating. So right. surprise. <laughs>
Well, also, it's kind of an example because I kind of I see nature as like the most creative force out there. And that shows that like that's nature showing man like you don't have it all figured out. <laughs> OK, that's a great observation because you just happened to hit the nail on the head of my next point. So here's an example of what you just said. You know how have you ever had cheese go moldy? in your refrigerator and you throw it out and you say, what do you say? Ew. <laughs> Ew, yuck. Well, you know what? You just threw out something that could have saved, and they calculate mold has saved a billion lives. Oh, wow. You know what I'm talking about? Penicillin. Penicillin. And this is a, my next point I wanted to make about observation. So Alexander Fleming, came in to his laboratory and he saw mold growing on a petri dish and anyone else would have said just like what you and i would have done with the moldy cheese yuck and thrown it out but instead he noticed that around the mold there was a halo of dead bacteria and that's when he realized there was a component in that mold, penicillin, that was killing the bacteria. Mm. And it's interesting because one of the first people that penicillin saved the life of was my mother. Oh, wow. So I barely made it here today. <laughs> my mother was 14. She had a burst appendix. They didn't know it. The infection spread through her entire body. Ugh. They removed the appendix, but they could not remove the infection all through her body. So they gave her penicillin and it saved her life. That's amazing. So here's another example um, of observation. A little boy was sitting in his kitchen back in the 1800s. And do you have a tea kettle? Yeah. And how do you know when it, the steam or the, how do you know when it's, the water's boiling? It, well, there's, I'm just, I'm sorry. I was just thinking I just bought an electric one. So it just turns off. Oh, um, okay. But the tea so, kettle makes a sound. You, right. So it makes a sound or there's a flapper on the, on the uh, spout. Have you ever seen that flapper? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? When the steam comes out. Yeah. yeah. So as the steam comes out, when the steam comes out of the uh, spout, it, it flaps the little flapper. And it also makes a whistle. So the little boy saw the steam making that flapper move. And he said, wow, why don't we hook a motor to that, an engine to that, or hmm. a loom, or hook a water? Why don't we hook equipment to that little flapper? His name was James Watt. Hmm. James Watt invented the steam engine. So what he saw, he observed that flapping piece of metal that was being moved by the steam. And he said, why don't we move a piston? And why don't we attach that to a loom? Right. And now we don't need to have factories next to rivers in the East Coast, in Maine and Vermont. Now we can have factories anywhere and we can have a lot of them. So we don't need people 
to be doing all this labor. So that machine that he made was a sort of a worker for us. Which a is machine. beautiful because he took something so small and made it applicable to a larger um, larger problem. problem yeah. Like powering all the machines in the world <laughs> in the 1800s. I, I have a question for you um, about, well, as you're talking, because it, it, it kind of, it keeps coming back to, you know, well, I'm, I'm guessing robots will eventually take over mundane labor. Yeah. Leaving humans with more time to be creative. I guess my question to you is, do you think humans are ready for that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. People, I mean, do you like, uh, do you like vacuuming your floor? <laughs> No, <laughs> I, I mean, there might be someone that would answer yes to that. <laughs> but um, and great. I'm glad they've found their passion floor vacuuming. <laughs> but robots can do that for us. And that enables we're going to have a tremendous creative explosion. I mean, the Renaissance was a big creative explosion because we we got control of agriculture. In fact, I have a pop quiz for you. Um, name one job in the, in the world. You eliminate this one job and everybody dies. Every other job is just icing on the cake. What is that one job? Can you guess? You take it away and everybody dies. Hmm. Everybody dies. I, for whatever reason, the first thought to my mind came sanitation. Oh, that is important. Yeah. I mean, if we didn't have sanitation, it'd be garbage everywhere. But I'm thinking farmer. Oh, food, right. And that's what made the Renaissance. The farmers were more productive and people weren't out there trying to get food to live and they had more free time. And look what happened. The Renaissance. Mm. Um, all the beautiful art and painting, Sistine Chapel thing happened. Well, we're going to have even more of that because as the robots and AI take over the mundane jobs, these people will be available to be more creative. And luckily for them, they have you to teach them that they are creative. I guess that was yeah. my, um, my wonder because as an art therapist, I come across people resisting it and usually from what you've seen from the school, the way schools have been set up too, the, like usually the out of box thinking is not even really promoted. So when um, they come to me for treatment and I say, okay, well, we're gonna make some art. There's some resistance there that we have to get through. Um, so when I'm, when I'm thinking about people having all this spare time to be creative, I'm like, are they gonna welcome that? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's and uh, once they read my book, they'll welcome it. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and <laughs> once they've had a therapy session with you, they'll welcome it. So it's going to be a big society change. You, you, you're right to notice that. That's good observing, and uh, that is going to happen. Now, let me give you another uh, creativity example I use in my book. And have you heard of lateral thinking? um 
I think I've only heard it when you were talking about it in your TED talk. Right. So lateral thinking is another creativity techniques, and um, it's often called out of the box thinking. And you've heard of that, right? Yeah. Out of the box thinking. So the way it works is, let's say, well, I'll give you an example. The example from my TED talk. So in the beginning in 1900, when they were making automobiles, there are a lot of automobile makers. There are about 10 other companies. Ford had not even come along yet. Hmm. And cars cost, to, in today's dollars, half a million dollars, $500,000 for a car. And the main expense was when they made the engine, they would pour the molten metal into, uh, into casts to make the piston cylinders that go up and down in the engine. Hmm. And those had to fit perfectly. So they had these giant machines and there were millions, hundreds of patents for those machines that would grind the pistons to fit into the hole perfectly. Hmm. And half of those pistons, they had to throw them away because they were too small. And then it got, and so that's, that's is lateral thinking. So everybody is focused on that, on that one thing. Mm -hmm. They're focused on how to make the pistons fit better. Right. It's kind of like the Titanic example. They were all focused on, on finding lifeboats and, and stopping the ship from sinking. They didn't think outside of the box or outside of the ship and pull up next to an iceberg and unload everyone. So in this case, for 10 years, it went on like this. They would, they would make those pistons with the big machines fit perfectly, machines the size of a house to grind those pistons. And again, half of them were thrown away. And then this guy comes along, he says, hey, here's an idea. Let's, let's make the pistons too small. Every piston too small. And everyone said, that's ridiculous. That's that's totally stupid. And he said, sure, make them too small and then fill the gap with a little ring, like a wedding ring, but a big one that goes around the side and fills the gap. And that's called a piston ring. Huh. And that was a big breakthrough. He, he thought out of the box, out of the piston and came up with the idea Let's make everyone too small and fill the gap with a piston ring, like a big giant wedding ring. And his name was Henry Ford. <laughs> well, also it enabled them to be more flexible with their production that like it didn't have to be so precise. Yeah, ex it changed everything. Mm -hmm. So that was the big breakthrough. And, and Ford was the biggest auto manufacturer for 30 years. And Henry Ford was a very good observer. Now that one, that's not an observing problem. That is just what they call thinking out of the box, going and looking at a problem from a different angle. Um, I sometimes call it doing a mental handstand, looking at it from a different angle. And in my classes, if, if you were in one of my classes, you would see me do a handstand. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it at my TED talk because the stage didn't have a wall, but I do a handstand to make the point of looking at a problem from a, from a different angle. Mm -hmm. And here's another example of a thing that Henry Ford, so Henry Ford's two big things, the piston ring 
in this next thing I'm going to tell you about. He happened to be on a tour and he was in Chicago and a friend of his owned a slaughterhouse where they processed cows. So the cows were, um, it's not a very pleasant idea, but the carcasses were hung on a rack and it went through the factory and the cows were taken apart. First they took, they took out the hamburger, then they took out the top sirloin and then it moved on and they took out the ribs. So this carcass moved through this factory and Henry Ford had the idea because he observed, he could see this applied to his problem. So he had a car hung on a rack and then the car would move along the production line oh. and they would put on the fenders and it would and then and the it would move a little further on the rack and they would put in the engine and it would move a little further and then they would put on the wheels so similar to the um mr watt the way he was thinking he, he exactly he, he observed if he had worn blinders he couldn't have seen this and the way it was done is they had put a chassis on the floor and everybody carried up all these pieces and, and bolted them on and they were running into each other. And they had to, the, the motor, the engine guy ran into the fender guy and the fender guy ran into the um, steering wheel guy. And so putting it on this moving rack and then they gave it the name, the assembly line. <laughs> See, the slaughterhouse was a disassembly line. Oh. So it's sort of like a reversal. He turned it around. Instead of disassembling a cow, we're going to use this process to assemble a car. That's so cool. Yeah, another example of creativity. Now, part of this whole process of, of observing is in order to see solutions, you have to have a wide experience. So if Henry Ford had just sat in his factory in, um, in Detroit and never gone over to Chicago, he would not have seen this. So there's a saying in creativity, it's important to have a, a wide range of experiences. And in fact, they did an, a study of architects and the, the most, the most award-winning architects were the ones that had lived in multiple countries. Mm. So they took a look at the top 10 architects in our country and they said, what's different? Why did they win? Why were they the top 10 out of thousands? And turned out they had something in common. They had all lived in other countries. Therefore they had seen other examples of architecture. And you see behind me all those books? Mm -hmm. That's a part of the creative process to have a wide range of experience. I have books about mountain climbing up there. I have books about improv acting. I have books about Roman architecture. And the saying is be a mile wide and an inch deep. Hmm. And what that means is have a broad range of experiences so that you can find the solution to your problem from other experiences.
Yeah, I love that. That's that's so cool because then it also um uh well, I mean, I love that for a lot of reasons because the brainstorming process can look so chaotic, but what you're really doing is you're brainstorming from all those experiences and putting it on paper and seeing if something sticks. But also it's, um, it's so refreshing because then you're bringing in other elements from other places. And it's just, I love the process. It's a beautiful process. Yeah. So what you're saying is uh, exactly right. It's also, there's a, another version of that saying, a jack of all trades. So a creative person is, um, has a wide range of experiences. And Picasso, very creative, he's got a famous saying, and it's related to this. He says that good artists borrow ideas. And the point is that you need a lot of information to be able to borrow ideas. Hmm. But wait, there's more. Then he said, the truly great artists are the ones who steal. <laughs> so he said, the good artists borrow ideas and the great artists steal ideas. Huh. He doesn't mean exactly copy someone else, but get your ideas. And when he invented cubism, that's what he's, his biggest innovation. Are you, are you familiar with cubism? Mm -hmm. That's his biggest innovation was where he came up with cubism to look at and present paintings from different Views. angles. Yeah. He got the idea from African masks. Oh, that makes sense. Because African masks have different looks as you look at them from different angles. And he had gone to a museum and seen these African masks and that idea traces back. And Steve Jobs said that was his famous saying, and he followed it all the time as, a, as an example. And Steve um, admitted this. He never, hided the he never tried to hide the fact that the Macintosh computer, the big revolution, the ease of use, he got that idea from Xerox. Oh. <laughs> because Xerox had designed a Macintosh and the engineers were so proud and thought it would be a great business for Xerox, but the Xerox leadership said, nah, stupid idea. <laughs> kind of like that school principal who said, my creativity ideas were stupid idea to make B C students into B students. This is where leadership is important, good leaders. So Steve Jobs was a good leader and he saw that this was a great idea. And those engineers who showed the idea to their boss there at Xerox and got shot down, well, they invited Steve Jobs, come on in, take a look. And Steve took a look and instantly said, this is gonna revolutionize computers. So Steve was stealing <laughs> the idea. And that's why Steve always liked to, to say that Picasso quote is his favorite quote. Huh. That's really amazing. Well, also with the leadership, it's like knowing when not to put a cap on your thinking. Yeah, in fact, Steve's second favorite quote relates to that. He said, um, 
we hire smart people to tell us what to do. <laughs> because many leaders hire people and then micromanage them or tell them what to do. But Steve had the good idea to hire smart people and have them tell him what to do. Right. Now, he has a bad reputation for being an autocrat and being a yowler and a screamer. But the, the reason he was doing that, he was screaming and yelling at the engineers when they were trying to make things for the way they wanted it to work. Uh, Have you heard of Rube Goldberg? That does sound familiar. Yeah, look him up. He was famous for doing artwork to show complicated ways to doing a simple thing like turning off your alarm clock. Uh -huh. He would have a 40 step process <laughs> of little levers and um, little wheels to turn off your alarm clock, 40 steps. And Steve would get upset and yell at the engineers because they had a 40 step process to turn on the computer. Right, they lost the intention of the Xerox model. Yes, the idea of making it simple. So um, are your arms free right now? And what? Are your, are your hands free? Oh, yes. Cross your arms. Okay. Now cross them the other way, really quick. Did that feel funny? Yes. <laughs> like you my know, brain's being switched. What's that? It's like my brain's being switched. Yeah, it's a different brain. And the point of that is when you're, when you're coming up with a solution, like designing a computer, you have to make it for the other brains, not for your brain. In other words, these engineers were designing the first Macintoshes to work the way that they liked them to work. But this product, the Macintosh, was for the, for the masses, mm -hmm. for the rest of us, for the 300 million people in America, not for engineers. So Steve got a reputation for being upset, rightfully so, at those guys. Yeah. And what they did with their creative computer designs is they would test them. They would put a camera on somebody that they've hired to come off the street and try the computer. And some of the features were so hard to use, people were flipping off the computer. <laughs> they were making obscene gestures at the computer, uh -oh. forgetting the camera was running <clears throat> or cussing at the computer. So part, my point is that in the creative process, as you're creating these great things, when you have lots of ideas, and that's the, the point is to have lots of ideas. Mind mapping will, will, will give you hundreds of ideas. Mm -hmm. And it's powerful because it gives you those hundred ideas where just trying to come up with an idea without the mind mapping tool, you might get 10. But yeah. with the mind mapping tool, you can get 100. Right. Now, when you have those 100 ideas, now you have to pick the ones that are going to solve the problem. And if you're solving a problem for human beings, then you have to cross your arms and cross them the other way to realize people are different than you. And you have to think in terms of what solution will work for the target audience that you're trying to solve a problem for.
Yeah. And that I see is so beautiful too, because it's like the best teacher of creativity or one of the best teachers of creativity is trying to empathize with someone else's life. Yeah. Connecting to other people. And if you ever have a client that's having trouble connecting to other people, if they're ever saying, geez, everyone's an asshole except for me, <laughs> have them cross their arms. Yeah. And then have them cross the other way. Right. And then they can get a feel that people are different from them and have different experiences. And they can feel, I call that feeling empathy. Mm. Because you're feeling how it is for another person to cross their arms. And many times when you're asking somebody to do something your way, you're asking them to cross their arms the other way, the way that's uncomfortable for them. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really wonderful. Can I, does there time for one last point? Of course. So in the language of creativity, when you're working in a group of people, which is often the case, this is a language issue. If someone comes up with an idea, let's say, um, um, let's say you're married and you got a husband and, and your husband says, let's go to the beach. And the wife would say, but it's going to be cold and rainy. That word, but has this effect. Mm -hmm. It's saying, I don't like your idea and I don't want to hear any more. So in team creativity, this is the other thing I teach. I teach teams of people how to be creative and come up with solutions to problems. I tell those teams, take, take a dictionary and cut out the word but. Don't use the word but, use the word and, and watch how this works. So the husband says, let's go to the beach, honey. And she says, and we can take a blanket and we can take a picnic lunch. And then he says, and we can take the dog and we can take binoculars and we can take a star chart and see the stars if we stay till nighttime. And she says, and we can bring the kids. So do you see how that simple word and causes a snowball yeah. of ideas? It's bringing an opportunity, not um, shutting things down. Yes. So. And the way I teach us, uh, I have a stoplight, a red light, a picture of a red light. And I, I show that picture and at the top is the word, but, but think of, but as a red light at an intersection, it stops the flow of ideas. I love that. And the word and is the green light. I say, and let's take a blanket to the beach. I'm saying, I want, let's go, let's roll with this. Let's, let's generate more ideas. And now you have a brainstorming session going. And now you, instead of one idea, you've got a hundred. Make right. sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome. It might help with your clients to right, have to them. The end. Yeah. To have them when they're interacting with people, instead of using the word, but I mean, if they're having trouble with their parents, if they're a child, try instead of saying, but when your parents have an idea, try throwing in the word and. Right. And I'd like to stay out way past my curfew. 
<laughs> yeah. And it might, and <laughs> it might work. <laughs> they might say, okay. All right. Anything else? No, that was really lovely. But, and how do people reach you or, or what, um, what's your website? Um, it would be uh, creativity hyphen workshops.com. Okay. There, there's another company, Creativity Workshops, and that's why I had to use the hyphen. Oh, okay. And it's a little hard to type in, but um, they type in the word creativity hyphen workshops.com. And that'll get you to Curtis Panasuk. Uh, how do you pronounce that last one? Panasuk is Russian. Panasuk, okay. And um, on that website, they'll see a list of creativity books. Oh, awesome. And they'll see my articles. Okay. So that website is a very powerful resource in terms of there are books about creativity. And then if you scroll down, you'll see books about selling your creative ideas. Oh, very nice. So if you've invented a new type of airplane, with these creativity books and ideas further down i have books about sales and marketing how to sell and market your creative idea and then on my articles page i have all the articles that will be going into my book so those articles would be a way to read my book for free because <laughs> those articles are the chapters in my book in your book that's so excellent because I think part of the um, one of the hardest things about creativity, well, creativity and imagination is how to actually apply it practically, which is what you're showing people. So that's a like you said, I, it sounds like a wonderful resource and I can't wait to share it with people. And uh, feel free to show it to your students and your oh. um, and your clients. Thank you. Thank because you. you could say to them. Um, you know, if you want to be more creative, this guy's got a, a, a page, a website with articles about being more creative. And being more creative might make you feel better if you mm -hmm. have depression or anxiety. Definitely. Because th there's a saying in the creative business, um, there's two types of creative people. There's the creative people who say that they have depression and anxiety. And then there's the other group of creative people who don't say it. In other words, creativity, there's definitely a connection to a depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And there's two bodies. There's the ones that admit it and there's the ones that don't admit it. So there's two, you should look at Frank's, Frank's got a video about that. Frank did a TED talk about that. Oh, okay, I do need to. And thank you, Frank King for co connecting us. Hey, can I, uh, here's a creative question. What does the, the tattoo on your wrist mean? Oh, actually, so that was me. So I have two sisters and my mom um, raised us and me and my two sisters were sitting around one day and we're like, you know, we want to kind of have a family tattoo. So oh. the triangle is um, <laughs> me and my two sisters and then the green enveloping it is my mom. Nice. Very creative. <laughs> and your um wow, your sister has the same tattoo? We all got the same one on the same arm, yeah. That wouldn't that be funny if if she said your mom and sister said you go first 
and then you do it. <laughs> that would be a funny trick. <laughs> then you're the one with the tattoo right, for the rest of the your life. life. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then now what do you do for an office with COVID? You're just doing all your. They're all video sessions. Did you used to have an office? Uh, yes. Um, I actually still go into the office, but cause nobody, cause so many people are working from home. When I go into the office, nobody's there, but I, from the office, I work and have video sessions. Where, uh, where would I go to look at your website? Well, I actually work for the VA, so I don't have, but oh, oh, so outside of this though, that has nothing to do with, um, my therapy practice, just creativity in general. It's letcreativity.com. Oh, okay. Say it again. Let L E T and then creativity.com. Wow. You got that website. <laughs> nice job. Thanks. So th you've got some blog articles and some. No, I'm very, I have a very weak presence. I, I just kind of have my um, experience. That's more on the public speaking side and um, doing interactive workshops. So my, this blog will be posted there, right? Yeah. Oh, um, yes, I should put it there. <laughs> so letcreativity.com. Where else are, how else are you going to broadcast this or get it out? Uh, I think it's called Matchmaker um, for podcasts. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Keep me posted on how it goes. I'm, I'm really uh, excited to know um, how many views it gets. I, I, <laughs> I'm hoping more than two. <laughs> yeah, that would be you and me. <laughs> right. Oh, there'd be three. Frank would view it. Oh, right, right. <laughs> and then um, now, do you have a topic for your TED Talk? Uh, yes, I'm trying to focus in on actually how my observations as an art therapist over the years, um, how I, I see it as really as a symptom of an unhealthy society. The resistance toward unstructured creativity is more of a symptom of an unhealthy society. Um, yeah, that's very good. So that's what I'm gonna try and- Because that plays into what you said about as um, AI and robots do the menial jobs, people will have a lot of opportunity to be unstructured and creative. Right. And if they fight that, it's going to cause a lot of depression and anxiety. Right. Instead of going with it. Which we've already so, seen with COVID. Yeah, exactly. So the, the TED Talk Frank did is something like um, the evolutionary advantages of um, a mental illness. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Isn't that creative? So he took, he turned that around. And it's true. Everything he says in that talk is very true. And when I was a teacher, and if I had a suicidal student, I would often say, um, show me your writing. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you 100% super creative writing. Mm -hmm. and, and then, of course, I sent him to the counselor because the counselor, school counselor takes care of suicidal students. But on the way, mm -hmm. I would make the point to them, your depression and anxiety is actually a badge of honor. Yeah. It's the ticket that got you so creative, so funny. <laughs> and that is a big 
spirit lifter because they realize this terrible disease, this mental illness, actually has this huge silver lining. It's a reason that they're funny and creative. And creative. I mean, you see that connection with your patients, right? Definitely. Yes. I love that. I hope there's, I hope all teachers are similar to you in, in doing that. Yeah. Um, so it's an important point. Now, so you work for the VA in Palo Alto. Uh, Menlo Park. Yeah. Out there on uh, Foothill. Uh, Willowward. Or I don't know what Foothill is. Oh, there's a, there's a giant VA building out there by, um, Oh, the that's the main one. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, we're connected to that. Oh, okay. So out there by that main one mm -hmm. is a, is a building called Xerox park. Oh, no way. <laughs> and that is where the Macintosh was invented. Oh, that's so cool. So if you went back 40 years and you crossed the street from that big giant VA building, uh -huh. up in the hill was a special research building that Xerox built. Huh. It was called Xerox Park. And that's their job was to discover and invent future technologies. Oh. And they did their job. They invented the Macintosh. And then the leadership of Xerox just totally threw it in the garbage. And Steve Jobs picked it up out of the trash hmm. and made a hundred billion dollar company from it. That's Isn't that good. amazing? Yeah, no, yeah, that is really brilliant. <laughs> and I know that because when I was a reporter, I went, I went to that building, Xerox Park, and I saw that. <laughs> yeah, because they they were so pissed that their leadership didn't give a damn. They were showing everybody. <laughs> they had like an open house. Come and see what we invented. And I was a reporter, so the PR guy called me in to see this. And I, so I saw, and Steve saw it and realized that was the future of computing. That's so he amazing. stole that great idea <laughs> and he admitted it. That's the best part. He didn't try to cover it up. He said, yes, I stole that from Xerox. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being my first guest and I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm, I'm so passionate about the creative process. I'm really, um, I hope to talk to lots of different people about the creative process and how it impacts their lives and what they've seen too. So if you know anyone else that wants to be on the show, I'd ever, I, I'm open. Okay. Yeah. I'll, um, in fact, um, if you have time, do you know of a company called the great courses? Uh -uh. I'll send you the link. Um, there's a professor at Buffalo state and, um, he is, um, Dr. Puccio, a professor of creativity. Oh, nice. And he did a, a DVD, um, about creativity. It's a, it's a 40 hour class. And he knows what I'm doing. And he has said, I'm like Steve Jobs because I'm taking these creativity ideas mm -hmm. and I'm putting them out to the world. And making it easy. Making it easy for people to see how to use these ideas. Mm -hmm. And every university should have a Dr. Puccio. Every university should have a professor of creativity. I agree. And so he might be someone at some point you, you could interview. But I'll send you a link to his class 
I would say, I don't know how much they cost, but it's worth every penny of it. And you could write it off for your VA educational budget. They -hmm. probably have a budget for you for education in some way, right? Hopefully, no. (laughs) (laughs) They do provide a lot of training. I'll give them that. They provide a lot of classes, but- Hey, I was just curious, are your your clients uh, veterans? Mm -hmm. So you're not working with children. Um, so throughout my career, I've worked with children, teens, and adults, but for the last one, three, four, six years, it's been with um, people in the military. What's your title? Uh, art therapist. Art therapist. So you work with a lot of PTSD. Mm-hmm. That's my specialty right now. Wow. Okay. Um yeah, a friend of mine wrote a book about PTSD. I'll, I'll see if I can look that up and send that to you. Oh, great. So I got two things to email to you. Um, uh, the Dr. Puccio's creativity class, and I'll see if I can find Dara, Dara Westrup is the name of the woman. Dr. Dara Westrup, she's a professor at Stanford, wrote a book about PTSD. And I'll see if I can send that, send that to you. Thank you, thank you. Have fun well, surfing. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll try to be creative out there and hope there's no sharks being creative. Right. <laughs> so I hope they stick to their main diet, which is seals, not surfers. But um, yeah, stay in touch. Um, I'm really excited about what you're doing. You're, you're onto something big, by the way. Oh. This whole idea of creativity. My book publisher, she's done 100 books in eight years. She says this is a really hot topic because of exactly what you're talking about. The idea that we're going to a new type of society. We're moving into an area where there's gonna be a lot more free time because robots and AI are taking over the mundane jobs. And it's exactly what you said. People are gonna be faced with unstructured creativity, unstructured time, and they they need to be ready for it. And you and I will help them get ready. (laughs) All right, have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Curtis, for being my first guest on the podcast. And I really enjoyed discussing the topic with you. And listeners, I hope you enjoyed listening. If you would like to be a guest on my podcast, please email me at letcreativity at gmail.com. I would love to hear your perspective on creativity. Thank you so much and have a good day.